Welcome to Storytelling with Seth, a place where I honestly and as authentically as possible attempt to share with you stories I discover. Some of them are in the news, some of them are a bit of word of mouth or something whispered in the ear, and others are those rare opportunities where I get the chance to sit down with someone and talk to them about their story and in turn share it with you. I really hope you enjoy every story here on Storytelling with Seth, but there's really only one way I can know, and that's if you let me know. If you're using the Anchor platform to listen to this, you can go ahead and leave me a voice message, and I'd be happy to share it on this podcast. However, you can also reach out to me through email at sethsingleton at gmail.com, as well as on various social media platforms like Instagram, where I'm Seth the Writer, Twitter, where I'm at one more singleton, or on Facebook, Seth Singleton Storyteller. Please feel free to reach out on the platform you feel the most comfortable with so that I can hear what you like, what you don't like, and more importantly, so that together we can share our stories with each other. And now that I've given you an idea of what this is and what to expect, the only thing now, or the only thing left to do now, is to tell a story. Let's get started, shall we? My conversation with Bill Protzman began with the introduction of an idea about music and its ability to care and heal, and what that process looks like in the hands of someone like Bill, an IT entrepreneur, a classically trained musician who has been performing for most of his life and holds magna cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing. And how music care, which is now, since 2011, a for-profit corporation dedicated to teaching practical ways that music can be used for self-care. In our conversation, I had the chance to explore a bit of Bill's music background, the concepts of leaking emotions and responsibility that comes with authenticity, the powerful moving moments that helped him recognize the releasing magic we are all capable of, and identifying the music that we need, whether it's in business, working with the homeless, or veterans, and the idea behind a silver bullet playlist. As he pointed out at one moment, it's an emotional ride, but thankfully with his research and discussing ideas like the personal playlist, we also had the chance to touch on some high points, like his recording of Amazing Grace, which topped the charts of mp3.com in 2000. And then we ended with some great ideas about courageously animating other lanes, caring for ourselves, and more importantly, where to start. I really felt this was a valuable conversation and one that I think I'm still learning from and happy to share with you. Thanks for joining me and my discussion today with Bill Protzman. And welcome to Storytelling with Seth. My name is Seth Singleton. I'm your host 
And today I'm joined by Bill Protzman. Bill, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, close enough. Protzman, Protzman. If you're German, it's Protzman. If you're American, it's Protzman. Gotcha. I was not aware in that moment. I had slipped into my German self. And yet, Perfect. if that's if that's what happened, uh, he can also be trained to say Protzman. So the nice thing is we've covered both pronunciations and that should make it easier for anyone else who happens to hear you talking, what we're talking about, and wants to share it with someone else. Now they know the correct ways to say your name. So thank you for that. Bill, uh, I'm just going to start off with the fact that Music Care in its title introduces a great concept, which is using music to care. And oftentimes care is a, a process of treating, which is a, you know an idea that I'm sure many people can acknowledge as something that they are aware of, maybe just generally, but you've taken a, a deeper approach to the concept of music and care. And to start things off today with our conversation, what led you from a previous state to the point where music care was something that you were not only launching, but now successfully leading to a lot of great advancements? What a great question, Seth. Um, yeah, you're right. There's a there's an aspect of like ongoing care. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another word. Ongoing treatment there, you know, once you arrive in this world, you're not done. There's a lot that's going to happen between when you're born and when you pass away. And we like to think that we've able to achieve stasis in a lot of ways and things are going to roll along fine, but everybody knows change is the constant. So in order to meet that change with something like awareness, I found that it's necessary to have practices that just mind you you can tap into when you need them. When something comes up that's familiar to you and you're like, oh yeah, that again, you've got tools in the toolbox to be able to deal with it. And in a, in a really big way, change is the thing that's going to hit us all the time. How are we set up for that? How, how do we respond to change? And sometimes it's change we want, sometimes it's change we don't. But in either case, it's, it's helpful that practices that mind us through that. And you've seen the awareness of that in the world. I know there's... Um, Let's see, how long ago was it that Yogananda came to the United States? That whole influx of a holistic practice, which is yoga and meditation combined, that helps people's, people to deal with change in a way that affects them physically, mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. That's a really good practice, the, the practice of yoga and meditation. So um, I found at one point in my life that I'd been practicing things about music that were doing that had a similar effect on me. I still don't like change. That's not the point. But I have tools that I didn't realize I had to be able to deal with that change well. And um, you know, more or less well. <laughs> there's no, you don't get a batting average on change. You know, you, you just do <laughs> it, and however it works, how it works for you. But it, it's nice to have some of those things in the box. And of course, along the way, I've learned some yoga and some meditation. And um, as I learn these other tools, it's interesting to see the similarities between. Meditation, for example, and performing music, which for me is very similar. Um, the voices in my head stop in both cases. And um, it's possible to reach a, a, a slightly elevated state where you feel like not so much floating, but like there's things happening and you're just there as the observer as these things pass along, whether it's music or just thoughts or a mantra flowing through your head. So that it's it's interesting to me that there are durable practices that are very old, such as yoga or music, 
some of the um, Greek practices of Stoicism have been revived by people who are interested in how to deal with change. This whole uh, intensely convoluted and contrasting world we live in right now has really offered people a chance to say, hey, how am I dealing with this? What, what, how do I really respond here? What are my choices about how I, how I respond? And uh, my, my lane is music, but I think there's a bigger opportunity for people to start learning about self-care and what really works and how important it is to, uh, instead of just running to an expert every time something goes wrong, to be able to have durable, useful tools on board that you can bring into play like right now without having to wait for a meeting with your therapist or MD or spiritual counselor or coach or whatever it is. You can use them right now. So that's the bigger picture here. And I think we're talking about something that many people are going to need, which is durable, evidence-based, holistic self-care. So yeah, music's my lane, but the bigger opportunity is so amazing. I mean, you know about this from writing, right? As a creative, how important <laughs> I do. it is, you know? It's an outlet. It's a way of approaching, interacting, perceiving, processing. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just for a quick background, what is your background with music? How long have you been a musician, a performer, uh, whatever roles and opportunities you've had in music? When did it begin and how long has it been a part of your life, just as music can be before it became music care? Right. Uh, great question. So mom was a piano teacher and I was student number one. And that started when I was three, uh, seriously. So I still remember the songs that I learned back then. <laughs> They're they're incredibly uh, useful when it comes to demonstrating uh, what we now call EMDR, eye movement desensitization, desensitization and reprocessing, um, which is, we'll talk about that a little bit more too. But the left-right nature of that, the, the bilateral stimulation that comes from a left-right experience of moving your hands or tapping on your knees or whatever, is something that piano players do all the time. So um, starting from a really early age, like I was performing you know, piano parties and stuff with everybody else, I actually got into a competition when I was a teenager and, and won that. And it just, it's been a pretty remarkable life of being on stage as a very empathetic, um, e deeply emotional performer because you have to bring emotion to classical music to make work. And then being in the rest of my life as uh, typically as guys are, where we're not to have feelings or at least not to show them. It, it's an interesting sort of um, bifurcated life to have lived. So in the process of like doing all that and realizing my responsibility is to connect people deeply with emotion, um, I've learned that I can do that out away from the keyboard as well. And there are ways that music has helped me along there. I've been blessed with some really amazing counselors who've also helped. There's, there's so much richness that's available to us as safe emotional experience in music itself that the, being able to lead people to that, whether it's on stage as a performer, on stage as a speaker, or across the table in a workshop, uh, this is the amazing thing. And it seems like the world is ready for a deeper and safer experience of emotion. Because right now it's kind of leaking out. And it leaked out for me, too. I mean, I'm, I'm the living example of what it means to leak emotion. <laughs> it's not pretty until you understand what's going on and, and have tools to deal with that. If you wouldn't mind, you really touched on something that might be helpful for others to recognize when that opportunity exists for them. And I want to go to something that you said a few minutes ago, which is your responsibility. Now, there's a difference when you're a performer 
to entertain than there is to be responsible in some way for that performance or what it does. When did that transition occur? Wow. So that's gradual. I think when you're making music for people, whatever your awareness is, you realize that there's something out there in the people listening that that's happening. You know, they're not just passively sitting there. They're engaged in some way. And, uh, you know, the engagement for somebody playing classical piano on a stage like me or somebody who's giving a concert in Wembley Stadium, that's a different kind of engagement, but the engagement's there. And becoming aware of that gives you a, a, a more of a sense of connection between the audience and, and you. That connection is, is what it's really all about. I mean, you're, you're there as a performer to open up this gateway to emotion for people. And you can bring anything that you want to to that. And, and of course, many people bring an enormous ego and stuff like that. And, and you get, you get, you know, you get pop stars. It's, it's just incredible what you can do with that kind of awareness and presence. And of course, with the music. And then there's the more subtle forms of that, um, where you're doing something that may or may not um, have a dramatic response. But you do have to show up and be able to you know, make the music in the first place so that you're not getting in your own way and you're not you're not um, taking people's experience of the emotion and, and twisting it in a way that doesn't let them have a pure experience. So you have a responsibility for the technical aspect of it too. But I've come to believe more and more, like you said, like you're just saying, that you do have a responsibility for the emotional content. And it's good to be aware of how that can be received. Um, I, as an objective example, I like to talk about um, hip hop. The hip hop culture is an amazing culture. Think of all the people in that culture who are able to experience uh, the more difficult emotions like anger and fear uh, safely because they have musicians in the space, rappers, who are able to deliver powerful lyrics and powerful music to evoke those emotions without a requirement that you actually go out and use them for anything. Um, obviously, there are people who do, and thank heaven they're in the minority, but Imagine what we, where we'd be if we had a safe space for people to feel those deep emotions um, more honestly, for example, in politics. <laughs> There's opportunity <laughs> here that's just enormous. And the people who are, who are tasked with conveying the emotion, the musicians in our case, or the writers or any creative, an artist can do it as well. Um, you've got to show up at a high level to be able to offer those emotions and offer the safety for an audience to experience them and respond to them without a requirement to go out and you know break things and hurt people i think that's the piece that we're really getting to here and that awareness wow you can do anything with that awareness once you've got it so yeah big responsibility on creatives to be able to <laughs> to be authentic i think is the best way of saying it seth agreed i i believe authenticity is probably one of those terms that when it's addressed in any way it becomes so focal that you're aware of just how important it becomes when you you give it the sort of do it deserves and you look at it and you say ah yes this is this is something that you know is either very close to me in what i'm doing or i'm very far away from it which reveals my intentions and that authenticity behind what you're doing and why you're doing it can so inform um the purpose behind what you're doing yeah it, it seems the clearer that is the more that it can be almost transparent through you so that the the person trying to sort of gauge what it is that you're doing or saying can see that coming through 
And when you're that close to it, it's almost like it's a shadow behind you that they're saying, you know what? Even if I'm not sure exactly what's happening right now, the authenticity of what's being presented to me is something I, I really can't argue with, whether it's yeah. something I can uh, interact with deeply on a surface level or simply recognize for the authenticity it's describing and providing and demonstrating. Have you ever had that experience where some friends invite you to hear some music and you go with them and, you, and you're like, well, I don't know what this is going to be about, but you go. And it's just like that. You can tell the performers on the stage are in, incredibly authentic, <laughs> but yes. their music is just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm listening to this. You know, and, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, what do you do? And I've been there, too. And I, I think anybody who is interested in music, at least curious about it in some level, uh, we'll have had at least one of those experiences. I, I think those are phenomenal opportunities to step outside our space. Um, there's, I forget what the movie is now, but um, Chinese opera, I think, is one of those things where when you experience it for the first time, it's, it, it's like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> you know? Mm. But if you start to break it down, um, all of a sudden you realize the incredible complexity that goes into making music that you weren't aware of before. And that could be a jazz man at the club that you've never heard or, you know, whatever. But when you start to think about it, and I'm, I'm starting with thinking because oftentimes we've got to think our way into the emotion. You start to think about it and you get some appreciation for how difficult it is to play the sitar or sing in quarter tones or whatever it is, the crazy that's going on. And, and, you, and, and that puts you in a place where it's like, wow. So to develop this talent these are incredibly gifted people. They've had to do X, you know, amount of work to be able to make this music happen. And then you're at a place where you can begin to, I'm simplifying here. You can get, you could, you're at a place where you can begin to relate to the performers as people. It's like, wow, they're part of the human race too. And what, is, what an amazing talent to be able to sing quarter tones. I mean, there are notes in between the notes that we know and they sound like that. And they can, and people can actually sing that stuff. How does this work? And you begin to get a feel for um, the shared experience that you as a writer have, for example, you know, in developing your craft. And then somebody who's singing Chinese opera has is being able to develop their ear to recognize these pitches and sing them accurately. And, and then the human connection can begin. And you, be, and you start to realize that this is an incredibly important thing for the people who are authentically, you know, giving it to you. And, and it isn't so much about the sounds anymore as it is about the people. And in places like that, when you start to think that way, um, th that opens the door for the magic. And now, I, I can't, you know, you can't predict what the magic is, but it opens the door and then, and then magic happens. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. <laughs> now you mentioned this was a, you know, a gradual process for you. Do you yeah. remember the first sort of, moments when it was occurring, whether it was a series, singular, or a moment perhaps when you looked back and could see where that, that gradual progression had begun? You know, there's a point in life, I think, where everybody looks back and realizes everything that's happened has been for a purpose. And that happened to me. But as the little singular moments, I remember moments that were important. And uh, I mean, my, a, a piano recital where my teacher was moving away and we all came and played and I was the last one and I played and I stood there and she was smiling and clapping. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really good until I noticed that she was also crying. 
and I don't know, I was seven, eight, whatever. And when you see that for the first time and you haven't really gotten it before, that human beings can be happy and sad at the same time, that's huge. And then the next step behind that is like, I can't explain that, but this happened because of music that she heard. How is that possible? How can music give you two emotions that seem like they're opposites and, they're, and it's all okay? And so yet it also like, ties to the leaking that you were referring yes, to. It's almost it, it, as though it's it it's not something that's controlled or directed from one outlet or another, but it's this outpouring and it's going yeah. to express in different forms because there's more than one emotion involved, it, it would appear. Uh, completely. And, you know, little things like that along the way sort of are markers for me. Um, I gave a recital once and played a piece of music that was important to my parents and they were in the room and it's like one of the two times I've ever seen my dad cry. And I thought, oh my gosh, so this is a man who's gone through almost his entire life, and I don't know of any other moments, because I haven't been there the whole time, but this is only the second time me, now as a 30-something-year-old man, I've ever seen my dad cry in public. This is, this is incredible I, that music can do these things. And, you know, it's not about me. I, it's the music. You put on the music and play it without anybody in the room, and it would be offering the same emotional content as if there were a bunch of people there, right? And uh, just those little moments that stay with you, um, they help sort of tie the pieces together and give me confidence that I've been on the right road along the way. It's it's a good road. <laughs> Don't get me Sounds wrong. Sounds like it. No. Um, and interestingly, those are two really important, very personal, almost one-to-one -one connections. Was there ever a moment where you felt that you'd experienced it on a larger degree, either with a group or uh, in a performance setting, where suddenly you were able to see that maybe one-to-one -one connection you experienced with your father or with your teacher with a group as part of a performance, or were you able to see it have an effect on more than one person, and if that was the same kind of experience or, or how that might have differed in any way? Well, of course, I've been both an audience member and performer in many ways where there's been huge emotional response in the room. But I, I have a story that is sort of related to music that I think makes the point that you're looking for. In high school, I was part of a marching band and, and we were pretty good. Um, it was Fallbrook Union High School in North San Diego County. We weren't big, but we could really play and we made a really effective uh, appearance. So all the big bands were they they were in a different league, you know. The the people who had like 300 performers on the field at the same time. I mean, we I think we might have had 110, 120, but we competed a lot. And one particular competition was a marching competition on a field. So we were going to do our halftime show, and we had a pretty decent halftime show. So we were lined up and ready somewhere in the parking lot, you know. For 20 minutes later, the judges were going to call us, and we were going to take the field and do our thing. When the director comes running back from the stadium. He's like, go, run, grab your horns, go, get on the field now. And we didn't know what was happening, but there'd been a mistake, obviously. And they called us earlier. Somebody had messed up and our time was wrong. <clears throat> so we ran. We just like booked out to the field and lined up and we gave the performance of a lifetime. And won the show. I mean, the sweepstakes, it was, it was like hands down. I think everybody knew that we'd done something special that night. What happened? Was it related to music? Was it related to something else? I think the, the key there was there we had 110, 120 people who were spooled up and ready to go. We could probably have played that show in our sleep. 
and you know we, we knew how to work as a unit everything was great but if we'd had to wait another 20 minutes and walk onto the field and whatever the magic wouldn't have been there and the magic was released by that by the pressure you're like all of a sudden bang something has changed and we the point is that we were ready to respond to that change and not only did we respond to it and take the field and give a show we responded to it took the field and gave an amazing show and that i think for me is it, it speaks to the commitment that you have to being the best performer that you can, but also like getting out of the way and letting it happen and responding to any kind of crazy that might want to take you out of your place with just this show up and go kind of attitude and blowing the doors off of the concert and the marching and everything. It was amazing. It was just amazing. So um, did music do that? Well, music got us into a place where we were ready to do that. You know, the practice and the discipline and all of that, and making the notes sound great. And it was all there. So in, in that case, there's a, you know, a, a marching band being able to respond to change in a way that was remarkable. And it was really great to be a part of that, you know, it stuck with me, obviously. I can see that it, it did, and I can imagine why it would. It's a great story. And it's also one that I'm sure others can relate to a moment when they thought they knew that things were happening at a predetermined pace. And then suddenly, through no fault of their own or without any sort of preparation, the announcement is everything's changed. It's happening now. Be prepared. Or even if you're not, we're going. And this we're is going. about to happen. <laughs> yep. And uh, whether you've been uh, an expecting parent or in any other situation where you thought you knew what was happening and then suddenly everything gets thrown into high speed uh, or starts right at the moment instead of with a planned buildup, you're, you're experiencing something that you, the amount of control you have over is only what you're about to do. And everything else is something that's being pressed upon you. Interesting that in that moment, your interaction was with music and not only you, but everyone who witnessed the performance by your band was able to experience that and be a part of it. And the, uh, the impact of it, as you pointed out, has stayed with you all this time. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I find this really interesting and I'm going to fast forward to more of a present time because I think that one of the things that I find most interesting about what you're doing with music care is the work that you're doing with groups like veterans, homeless, and business leaders. Three groups who might have some similarities, but at first you have to kind of look for them. But as soon as you told me that story, I saw a connection that I'd, I'd like to sort of you know use as a way into this, which is the idea of what you think is going to happen and how suddenly something can impact that and put you in a, a more frantic, upbeat, or... Uh, elevated state and how that can be a challenging experience for veterans dealing with post-traumatic stress, for homeless people who have suddenly found their lives uprooted or by the nature of being homeless are forced to adapt day to day to all sorts of challenges and conflicts. And then to business leaders who, depending on their industry, might find that their hour by hour day is constantly disrupted or impacted by events outside their control, but all of which find these groups of people in elevated states 
without any sort of preparation. How is it that you've been able to work, you know, either as a whole or with each individual group, kind of using music in a way that addresses this experience, which had such a big and positive impact on you? Great question. The um, music can do a couple things for us. It upregulates us, downregulates us. Um, the, those are important oversimplifications. But generally speaking, if you're aware of the kind of music that you need, when whether that's an upregulation or a downregulation, you can engage with that music in a way that gives you some relief. And relief is important, especially if you're in a stressful environment, which you know, veterans and homeless people and business leaders all typically are. I mean, for most of us, the entire world these days is experienced pretty stressfully. So um, what I like to do with music is, first of all, to let let the music um, help release the energy that is in a situation. And if that's a stressful situation or an anxious one, that means for me that I find music that I can um, experience stress and anxiety with. Why? Well, because we're, our bodies are resonators and we need to be able to experience those things and let them go instead of just stuffing them inside. And my own experience of stuffing emotions when I wasn't at the piano has uh, sort of been my guide on this. It's so great to be able to let the experience come up with an emotional content, let the emotional content go, because then you're able to get back to neutral, to stasis, and like reclaim your balance and say, okay, now I can make a choice or a decision about what to do next. So this, this, this step that comes before of allowing the emotion in safety, music can do that really well. Whether that's a need to let go of anxiety or to um, upregulate for another reason, like waking up in the morning or working out, or whether it's a need to dial back a little bit and and return yourself from a high level of energy to a lower one. Music is great for that. Provided that you have some of it ready to go, you can deal with those situations pretty effectively. So I like to teach people how to use what I call silver bullet playlists, like four songs, because it takes about four songs to take us through the emotional ride, like starting at wherever you are and then elevating that ride on, perfect, on purpose, elevating the emotions, and then letting them go, releasing them. And if you think carefully about music that you love, you'll find that almost every song has those four sort of components in it. If there's an introduction, then there's a slow move up the emotional curve, then the, then the emotions peak, and then they relax a little bit. And that that component of music, the emotional um, journey through a song or through a series of songs, it's that way because that's how we work. And, and this is a lousy analogy, but if you think about things like sex or food, um, there's a progression there that results in satisfaction. And it's, it's normal for us to want to experience things that way. Same with emotions. Stuffing them, not so great. But throw a little silver bullet playlist in there and you can have a full experience of anxiety without having it affect you. Instead, it will just flow through you. And you can be at a neutral place where you're ready for the next thing. That's that's the beauty of teaching. And yes, it works for post-traumatic stress. I'm I'm a trauma survivor myself. It, it definitely works for homeless people who need to just be able to dial down and focus. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on in a homeless person's life. You wouldn't think this, but just to be able to get something to eat every day, 
is like a, a journey over how many different bus rides and you know walking blocks and whatever just to be able to find three things to eat that's complexity that most people who are living indoors don't have to face every day and staying on point to make all of that happen plus whatever else you're trying to do if you're transitioning back to being housed it's it's a whole mess of government paperwork and well-meaning people want to help you but have to measure how you're doing and oh it gets really complex so there's a lot of stress and homelessness that's has to do with ending it you know just as a person trying to get out of it music is a really great way to be able to to downregulate from some of that anxiety and stress and stay focused and move through the day and of course because there's lots of behavioral health issues that exist in homelessness and other places too music can be a great way to sort of stay on your game when the triggers start or when you when you start to feel like everything's beginning to spin allowing that spin to just dissipate to music and come back to where you are where you need to be for the next thing a very safe and effective way to do that with music you know i i can confidently remember without being able to confidently state the names of films or television shows in which it was appropriate for a character experiencing uh, a difficult heartbreaking experience to then put on a very sad song and cry and and cry just painfully heart-wrenchingly and yet Rarely is it as often to see any other form of musical release or return to that neutral state in media. I can think of a few occasions where someone's looking for like a happy song and that can create a comedic moment because either they find it or they don't. And either one can can create some fun. But aside from those two examples, it's, it's less likely to see someone demonstrating how to use either one song to bring them back to that neutral setting and return to a, a, a an original state that they had been before whatever it elevated them. But you're talking about an example, which I find really interesting, and I love your term, silver bullet. Um, it's something guaranteed to take down the thing that's coming after you, whether it's a werewolf or something else entirely um but that the idea that you've got this crafted playlist designed to work you through these uh, emotional states and return you back to that that center i'm curious which kind of came first either the interaction with one of these groups veterans homeless or business leaders or the idea of the playlist and then how it worked with others was there a chicken egg scenario did they did they start sort of developing at the same time you began working with one group or another? Or had this been an idea maybe in, uh, in the early stages that came to fruition over a bit of time? Well, I think it's been an idea that I've tried to simplify into a form that's useful. Um, fortunately, we've got science and stuff like that that explains what I've been feeling for all of my life as a, as a musician. And um, I have, oh, on so many occasions, just sat with one song and really committed to allowing the emotions in the song, whatever it is to play. And that could be something I'm performing or it could be something that I just put it on a, like on Spotify and put it on repeat, let the song play over and over. Um, the idea of the emotional ride is something that all musicians get because when we program a concert, we want to give our audience a satisfying emotional journey. And if you've ever been to a stadium concert or something like that, 
Back in the day, we used to use lighters, but around two-thirds of the way through, the big ballot would come, and all the lights would go out, everybody would light up their cigarette lighter, or in these days, their phone. And um, you know that moment is there for a reason. And whatever the song is, it just brings everybody to this place where we're ready for the next third of the show. And the next third of the show is going to be like out of the park amazing. It's The band is just going to go crazy. And if it's Springsteen, they tell me I've, I've got to go to a concert someday. You know, you could hear an hour and a half of encores after the big <laughs> ballad and the, and the, and the wrap-up, right? The first time the band leaves the stage, then they come back and play for another hour and a half. So that, that moment of, of contrast in a stadium concert when musicians are programming something, we're looking to put songs together so that they contrast in a way, so that they give you like a bunch of fast songs come, then there's a slower one. It's, it's just sort of like satisfying for us to experience that. We need a release. So um, assembling that kind of uh, music programming into something as small as a four-song playlist, that's relatively new for me, but I know that me and everybody who programs music concerts has been doing this for a long long time so why four songs and why a short one uh, i like to look at them purposefully and yeah giving a concert is going to give a whole bunch of people a big emotional experience but if you dial that back and say okay so what are the four songs that i need to release sadness what are the four songs that i need to release anxiety about money what are the four songs that i need to release um you know, pick anything like concern about my kids it's you can get very granular with this and bring it down to a level where those four songs are just available to you. And obviously, if you've practiced them, if they're songs you love, which, by the way, the research is the songs that we love are the most powerful for us, those four songs can be such a release and give you relief if it's something that you need relief from or if you need to spool up, if you need to energize before something. Those four songs can bring you to that place where you're ready to run the race or take the meeting or whatever the thing is. Um, having those little functional playlists around is really amazing. And because you know and love the music, the results of that physiologically, you can practice to a place where you get all the results just by remembering the music. Our bodies do this. We're, we're wired this way. So if you remember a song, the emotional content of that song is present in your body with the moment that you remember it. It's really cool. So you can give yourself that entire emotional ride with a four-song Silver Bullet playlist very quickly. It's just remembering it, and then your system takes over and gives, it, gives you the rest that you need. And this is, this is incredible science, but hey, this is how music works. I, I, we could put a bunch of drug companies out of business if this went big and wide, right? <laughs> no, without, without question. You know, it's, it's really interesting because the first thing that, that catches my mind is uh, the science behind this. And yet, when you think about anecdotally, and I know that when I was clicking through your website, I, I noticed that uh, one of your videos was for uh, an Episcopal community meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. And the first thing that, that makes that uh, sort of pop up in my mind is the Old Testament story of Saul and how they brought in David to play soothing music because yep. when his anger would get out of control it was the music that was the only thing that could calm him so i'm intrigued that anecdotally this is something i think we've known and yet you know what i find intriguing is you said the the science and i just wanted to take a minute to maybe just uh explore a little bit about what your relationship was when you were sort of introduced 
or began exploring and researching what research has been done to to come to that uh, sort of statement like, look, research has shown that it's the songs we love and information like that. How did that start folding into the work that you were doing? Oh, it's been amazing to have science uh, investigating music. We even use music now. We, I, like I'm a neuroscientist. Neuroscientists <laughs> use music as a, as we'll a stimulus. put you with them. It's okay. There's an affiliation. It, I'm okay it's, with it's all right. But it's, it's great to have people looking at it. And um, so the, the research about the songs that you love are the most powerful comes out of music therapy. Um, there's a lot of, um, well, I should make a distinction here because music therapy, uh, music therapists are people who have PhDs or master's degrees and in a track that includes use of music for therapeutic purposes in a one-on-one relationship or one-on-many relationships. So there's a, there's a need for a therapeutic relationship there. Music therapists are licensed. Uh, many states, you can get insurance covering music therapy services, which is amazing. So um, they're in the healthcare clinical business. And in that in that particular kind of um, environment, you can do research and figure out things. And uh, when it comes out of a medical environment, we all tend to believe it. Yeah, we've got the anecdotal evidence that goes back thousands of years, but now you know we're getting good, good, um, reliable evidence from science about stuff. So music therapy is all about using music for a therapeutic purpose. And therapists have discovered that rather than them directing the music, if they work with with clients who have a particular genre, a preference for songs or specific songs that they love, uh, they get better results with those songs than enforcing some external music, you know, on the situation. It makes perfect sense to me. It's always fun to play music that people want to hear. <laughs> Certainly. And it's right? not easy to have someone say, I'm going to play you something and this is going to relax you. And right. you're going, well, that's impressive that you know what I'm thinking or what I already like, or that you know me well enough to know that what's worked for everyone else is, of course, going to work for me, which seems like a very broad stroke. Right. Whereas, I mean, that's that's very presumptuous, I think. Yes, I would. I would agree. Now, what, what I'm intrigued by, though, is that then this creates an interesting question about how do you work with someone to develop their silver bullet playlist? Um, does it require some sort of asking them to list different songs that they know they love playing styles of music? What's what's been your process with helping someone develop a, a silver bullet playlist? Really great question. Uh, I did this once with about six or seven people and took about three weeks. I was teaching a class for homeless people and we decided to put together a silver bullet playlist and it started out to be something like sadness, but it wound up being loss. Uh, loss is an important fact if you're homeless. And as I said, it took about three weeks because we had to go through a bunch of songs and it, it's, you know, it was a committee process where everybody says, well, I think this, I think that. And you sort of put all the songs together and begin to listen to them and find out whether they fit together in the right way. And after a while, we got it to this place, and on the day that we sat and played the whole four-song list together for the first time, you know, like as a test, oh my gosh, there wasn't a dry eye on the house. And we'd really hit it somehow just through the collaborative process of saying, well, no, this is how, and investigating our music uh, that deeply, it was actually surprising to me that we came up with something that was so satisfying for everybody in the room. And that's that's very uh, encouraging, I think, because culturally, at least in the United States, uh, we can sort of slice ourselves up into genres of music and identify with periods in our life. It turns out that adolescence is kind of when we develop our musical ethos. And and uh, 
so you know if you're talking to people of a certain age that you're going to be playing Sinatra and Tony Bennett, and if you're talking to somebody else, you're going to be talking about Billie Eilish and Lizzo, and it's it's okay, because those are the songs closest to the hearts of whoever you're you're speaking with. So wh- where was I going with this? <laughs> the, we were talking about crafting someone. Oh yeah, just putting it together, their silver bullet list, and 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 what that process is like. And I love that you use the 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 work with the class. Uh, with the homeless who were attending and getting a collaborative input, is it more likely that you know a group effort can produce this, or do you also do this one on one? Is is has there been a difference for you? Well, my objective in teaching this is to teach people to do it for themselves um, with their music, and that does start with unpacking your music a little bit. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. I always tell this story, and it's it's an amalgamation of a bunch of other stories. There's not one particular person who is responsible for this. But the idea is if, if you're working with um, a playlist, any list of songs that, that you love, um, we start by saying, so what is your song for happy? Or songs for happy. And people go, oh, that's fine. Well, one person I was working with, again, this amalgamation person who doesn't really exist, said, well, it's Amazing Grace. I said, oh, that's great. That's a great, amazing song. It's happy. It makes sense. What's your song for sad? person says amazing grace well my radar is now up because my next question is going to be what's your song for scared and if they're going to answer amazing grace again i know i've got an opportunity here to open up the musical um, envelope a little bit and and introduce some other music so um it's it does start by taking stock of what your music looks like and um, i always say to people if you're on an all sugar diet that may be great but you're going to need to have other components to that diet to make it nutritional for you and the same kind of thing goes for music um i have as i as you know all kinds of respect for the hip-hop culture but if you're listening only to rap and this isn't the case so much anymore because rap is a little bit more diverse now but if you're listening only to like one genre of music ambient or whatever the opportunity to open up to other potential experiences of emotion is huge and if, and if you come to me and say bill you know <laughs> I, I can only listen to Beethoven. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, well, you know, that, nothing wrong with that. But, man, have you ever listened to any Sinatra? Oh, I hate Sinatra. No, that won't work. Tony Bennett? No, can't do it. I, the singing, words, whatever, lyrics, just take them away. I don't I want any music with lyrics. It's like, okay, well, let's put on some John Cage then. You know, nice. kind of gets you out of your Beethoven space. So the opportunity there for growth in this area, I find mirrors the sort of emotional fluency that you have in in your um, ability to experience emotions. And if your emotions are only experienced through music that makes you angry, you've left out joy, fear, and sadness. And those are parts of us too. You know, we're we're built built to resonate for all that stuff. And trying to deny your physiology, it's it's built in ability to resonate for emotion that you don't like. But all the psychologists tell us that's not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, opening up your musical, um, I don't want to say this word, but I will. Opening up your musical appreciation, even if you don't like the, the, the music, um, can be a challenge. And um, I've got one guy in the homeless class who will literally walk out of the room if I start playing music that he doesn't like. And I, I la- he's a good friend. I, I laugh about this with him because it's like, okay, I know, you know, you're not going to like this, but I want you to listen to it for this reason. 
And sometimes that'll work and sometimes it won't. But, you know, I can suggest a piece of music right now that you should listen to. And you'd go, no way, Bill, forget about it. But if I ask you, so Seth, what's your music for happy? Mm. Then we can go somewhere. And it turns out, by the way, that parents doing that with their kids. Oh, that's amazing. You get to learn about how your kids feel with this objective thing out there that's called music. And doesn't that, isn't that a conversation that we need to have? I mean, even at work, you know, hanging out with friends. It's hard to talk about your feelings about politics, but you can talk about your feelings about music. And once you understand that two people in the room can feel completely differently about the same piece of music and that their emotions are both valid, wow, that creates a, a human connection where you might be able to accomplish something else. So um, there's a real beauty in doing this work, even though it's a little bit difficult if you're starting out with like one song or one genre that's yours and that's it. Opening up that envelope, that's, that's, that's the fun stuff. That's where the magic happens. And being there when the lights come on, oh my gosh, Seth. I've, I've been in that place with homeless people and blown up veterans and folks undergoing trauma and even business leaders and watching the light come on when they understand, oh, wow, that's, that's priceless. You just can't that you can't buy that with money. It's one of the greatest gifts of teaching anyone just about anything, but especially when it's something you're passionate about. And when you can have that, you know, connection that says I've expressed something in a way that allows you to understand it and internalize it and interpret it, but yet also still understand the concept that I was trying to address and also then watch you experience it as it becomes not just a, a theory, but something that's applied and yeah, the, then experienced. You get it like physically. You ever had that experience with your skin crawling? All the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> that, you know? Yes. And it's interesting because, you know, I enjoy conversations like this and the way they stir up my own memories. It reminds me that as a boy, I loved comic books and I was stunned one time when I had read one and in the back page where the authors would sometimes leave you a note maybe let you know about something important they were working on or, or why the story you just read had an importance or maybe a story from a few issues back. And this one writer explained how he had written the entire issue while listening to the soundtrack of The Magnificent Seven. Oh, cool. Yes. Awesome. And as a boy, my brain went, what? Wait, what happens if you write while listening to soundtrack music? There's no words there. What do you think about? And it started this really interesting process for me to start interpreting my writing through the music that I was listening to when I was writing, even reading. It became something where I knew certain songs I wanted to listen to when I got home with a new batch of books from the library, a new batch of comic books from the comic book store that I knew would make the experience as important as I felt the book or comic I was reading felt to me. And then I knew songs that connected with me in that way. And I actually was kind of a silly kid and got into Beethoven at a really young age and with no sort of explanation from my friends, except I liked Beethoven's fifth. And then that moved me into Ode to Joy. And when you asked, what's what's the song that makes me happy? Ode to Joy is one of those songs that just it always lifts me up. It, it, it makes me happy. There's a part of me that says you're putting this on because you want to feel happy right now. And I, I love having a conversation where someone can bring that recall and, and that sort of memory connection where you can 
recognize those moments, but recognize them through what someone's teaching and explaining to you. And I, I love the idea that what you're talking about now is the idea of approaching someone through, you know, music they haven't considered. As a boy, no one had told me, one, to consider that Magnificent Seven had a soundtrack I might want to listen to, let alone write to. And right, yet yeah. this author had suddenly presented it to me that he wrote a comic book doing that, to which I just went, wait, wouldn't that just be like book literature? Hold on. I thought this was an old movie. How can this be applicable? And then suddenly realizing that, you know, for all my understanding at that young age, that this was something that could introduce me to a world that was suddenly much wider just through this possibility, which I'd never really considered before. So I, I can understand what you're talking about regarding how that feeling is to experience, because I'm someone who, when that author put that on that page and allowed me to read it, just that idea on the page became something so eye-opening that yeah. afterwards I never looked at writing and music, let alone music and emotion, the same way again. I'm intrigued by something also, just to come back to, I love that you mentioned the idea of Amazing Grace as one of the songs someone might choose for more than one category, because that ended up being something that you decided to put out on the public market, and it became a hit in 2000. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> that, that really is, because one, um, I mean, how many people have recorded a version of Amazing Grace? And, oh, you know. Infinite. Correct. And yet, <laughs> at this time, yours was able to achieve a, a great deal of success. Um, it's being included in the Library of Congress. At, at, at what crazy, point, yeah. what you were doing, uh, did you recognize, A, that that's what was happening but more importantly, to start it all off, what brought you to, to record Amazing Grace and to make this decision to publish it and then to experience its sort of uh, skyrocket and appeal? Well, I think as creatives, it's, it's always nice when something amazing happens, when we've made a project, you know, and sent it out into the world. Um, and I, and I'm I'm really grateful for that. It was it was a surprise to me actually. I had no idea that what was it MP3.com back in the day that anything I'd put on MP3.com would do anything at all, but this one did. And um, I don't know if it was because of the song. I I just there's there's no way to know, you know, Seth. It's like you just do what you do, and every so often something resonates. But the fact that it was Amazing Grace it was intriguing to me. Um, it's always been an interesting piece of music for me, and I approached it, I think, maybe a little bit differently than lots of people do. Clearly, it's a religious song. It has great spiritual um, import, and I've learned a great deal about how the words were written, actually by a slave trader, and um, how the first time in his life he ever hit his knees was when his ship was going to sink, and he was going to lose his whole cargo of slaves, and he subsequently became a preacher. Big conversion experience. But um, the, the melody itself seems to be uh, ubiquitous in the world. I don't know if a musicologist has done some work on this or not, but there have been oh, a few articles I've hit over the course of my life where people think about melodies that are universal. Um, one of them we have in the West, I don't know if this is a, also un that universal in the East, is the tune for um, Baba Black Sheep, Have You Any Wool? I think that's the original uh, sort of English version there's a version in French, but the it, it sounds like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and everybody seems to know that melody. 
it's like a nursery rhyme melody. Interesting. And Amazing Grace, as it turns out, is a melody that was like that. So the, the tune existed, of course, in the West, but it also was like in the Pacific Islands. And it, it, it was this universal piece of music that for some reason people kind of had it. They had this, this melody in one way or the other. And um, that is intriguing to me because maybe there's melodies that unite us at a deeper human level than um, than we're aware of. So um, Amazing Grace is like one of those things. But the tune by itself, what an incredible tune. If you were to go to New Orleans for a funeral, you'd see the, you know, marching in the second line of a funeral is something I hope to do someday. But not because I know anybody who lives in New Orleans <laughs> that I wish would pass away. I, I just want to be part <laughs> of that experience. Wisely said. So the, the second line funeral in New Orleans, so the, the marchers are carrying the coffin, of course, there's a band who's playing slow dirge music and amazing grace can be played like that it's just this slow um uh, mournful tune so you bring out the sadness of it and then at some point in the funeral um the band will switch tempo it'll get faster and and everybody will start bumping and jiving and dancing around and then the music the same tune is becomes a happy uh tune but of course you're still at a funeral and the recognition that you can do two different distinct emotions with the same piece of music is a really beautiful thing. And I've always been fascinated by New Orleans music and how that is, is a component of it. There are other songs, of course, Just a Closer Walk With Me is played that way too, Slow Then Fast. And these are, um, these are amazing things, like the use of that little piece of music to enable both the experience of grief and the experience of joy and release and relief uh, is fascinating to me. And I know people like to think of Amazing Grace played on the bagpipes. Um, I've heard that. I wish I could see it live someday. Uh, go to Scotland and watch the, I think they call it a tattoo, where all the pipers play. But you can hear this uh, as recently, I think, as Trump's first visit to the UK. Amazing Grace was part of the music that they played to welcome him. And uh, what an incredible arrangement of the music. So th these tunes have been around. And I think that the popularity is based on something more fundamental. Like we need to hear that melody in, in some fundamental way. Human beings need to hear that melody in some fundamental way. And it's a pentatonic mel melody, so it works on Asian instruments too, um, five-note scale. And it sounds beautiful, as well as on bagpipes and anybody who sings it. Just like go to YouTube one day and wander through the recordings of Amazing Grace that are out there done live and you'll find every kind of performance. It's really, it is amazing to me how widespread that melody is. Really crazy. So there must be something about it, right? That's that's minding us. There must be. You know, it really reminds me of the uh, popularized Leonard Cohen song. Oh, uh, sure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yep. And how that song actually goes through a descriptive process of what the sound of the word means, both yeah. with the high and the low, and then how the tune was addressed with it. And through it, sort of the amazement that occurred for the you know musician coming up with that term and the discovery, I guess, of it. And, and that's probably what I find really interesting about your approach to Amazing Grace is that it was as personal as any other recording we might find available on youtube or anywhere else it's about how that song at that moment you were interpreting it produced the version that you played yeah i wish i could remember what i was feeling that day you know 
As that's I'm saying, <laughs> I can't remember where I recorded that. It might have been in the studio, but you know, it's like that. <laughs> that's really interesting. And what I find is that it's it's a great opportunity for me to also just move into the fact that you're not just a musician, that you're an author and publisher, and that your book, More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization, was a, a bestseller in business and spirituality categories, and that you also published uh, In Our Eyes, In Our Words, Portraits from the Edge of Society, which uh, clearly demonstrated your interaction with the homeless community, but also garnered your a recent award, Independent Publisher of the Year. You've taken some of these concepts that you've approached in music, but they've also produced these other works, like these two books. Yes, that's an important thing. I, I know we love to specialize in the West, and I may be an outlier because of being like so diverse in the stuff I love to do. But we need more outliers, <laughs> not not to erase the category. But we need people who are willing to sort of put it out there and 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 take what they have in whatever lane they're in, and give that that beauty, that ability, that grace, that skill, whatever it is, give that an opportunity to work in another area too. And, and and do that just because it's important to do it, not because there's a you know a profit motive or whatever. I mean, you're not going to make any money offering music care services and education to homeless people. That's not the point. Uh, there are other ways to fund that endeavor that don't have anything to do with the beauty of doing it it's, itself, right? Um, if you've got a book inside you, if you're listening to this right now, I know, Seth, you're a writer. Um, there, there are so many incredible ways to be able to unlock that book and put it out in the world, and it doesn't take a lot of effort. I mean, <laughs> the laugh we laugh about the bestseller status because <laughs> some guy took a picture of his foot, and it became a best-selling book on Amazon. <laughs> I seriously, so uh, so it know, can be done. <laughs> it can be done, and and it, it's not about you know being number one. We're all enamored with being number one. It's about um, doing the right thing, and if it's in your heart to write a book. It's so easy to do that. You could talk the whole thing and have it transcribed for free and like you know, on using the internet. And self-publishing is so easy with Amazon. And uh, it, it's really a, a great activity to take that on and see where it might lead for you um, if you're a writer. Obviously, musicians, look at the amazing ability we have to release our work these days. Um, this didn't exist 20 years ago, you know, when that, when that uh, mp3.com thing uh, hit number one. It, it, it wasn't there. We didn't have Spotify and Pandora and iTunes was a brand new thing that nobody really knew how to use yet because Apple wasn't the big company that it is now. And the, the creative arts have just opened up so much. Um, video is an incredible way of being able to get the word out. I met somebody last night who only uses video to return email. He, he won't write an email back. He'll only video a reply. <laughs> it's like, that was perfect. Why not? <laughs> you know, and you get to see who you're talking to. And, and hear the emotion in, in the voice and, you know, all the things that we complain about not being able to do digitally or right there in video. Let's do that. And um, I know kids are all into TikTok and stuff like that. Let's put content out there in, in these new ways that let people see whatever it is that you're good at as a direct, a direct line to you, not going through some, you know, convoluted way of being able to get it out onto the big screen, but just right there on your phone. You can see me talking, right? And how great is that? Because it, it cuts through a lot of the, the questions. And, and you know right away if you're dealing with authentically. You can hear it. You can see it. 
that's that's I think the opportunity for us. So yeah, whatever your lane is, let that animate other lanes and uh, be courageous about it. Now, Bill, you're clearly an example of this, as you point out in a little bit of the the information I was able to get. Whether you worked with opera stars and poets or pop tribute bands or even your own one-person show connected, you've chosen more than one lane to express yourself, to share your message, to talk about things that are important with you, or to use another avenue to make a connection, not only with the things you feel are important, but with the people you're trying to reach. It's most recently led to the uh, San Diego County Live Well Partner in, in 2018. You've chosen all these lanes. You've you've done so many different things, and so much of it can be seen with the work you're doing also at Music Care. We've talked a lot about what's brought you to here. What's the future? <laughs> oh, I wish I could answer that question and have any kind of certainty <laughs> about it. Um, you know, my Are there crystal any goals ball doesn't, or specific doesn't sort of like uh, approaches? Is there a, is there a next step? Is there something that you've maybe been wanting to do, but you know there hasn't been a right opportunity, or there's something that is just out there that you know, hey, this is when it can happen. This thing is there, and and when it does happen, I'm going to take advantage of it. Or how does that future look for you? So I'm, I've been taking all of what I've learned so far, uh, and. And in, in encapsulating it in ways that other people can uh, use, uh, tools that work, processes that work, a bunch of free content online, of course. But I think that the thing that, that we need to do is become, at, we meaning like all of us, uh, we need to come become better at caring for ourselves. And there are so many ways to be able to do that. And I'm so encouraged by things like the, 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 move, the movement nationwide now to legalize pot that's an incredible groundswell of people kicking back against the established medical um, solutions and saying, no, we've got other ways here that are tried and true. There's thousands of years of history on this stuff. Um, it's not just about getting a, getting high, getting a buzz on. There's actual medical reasons why pot is saving lives. And we need to focus on that and become more uh, skillful in, in the kinds of uh, medicine that we use. Music is one of those kinds of medicine, and based on the physiological effects that science is now showing us and that musicians have known for a long, long time, uh, we're in a place right now where we can approach music as a health-affirming tool or modality. And if I can help enliven that conversation and help people understand more about why the music that they use is, is working on them and how to use that music responsibly... Well, I think that's the future. And, and doing that, of course, online is a great way. There's so many ways to be able to provide education these days. But I think that's my, my calling and, and the lane I'm going to be in pretty much for the rest of my time on Earth. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. They can make a part of their life. If, if they love the idea of a, a silver bullet playlist of more than a, a one of maybe a few oh, yeah. options to choose from and also maybe just what more they can learn from interacting with music care um, and so many different things that you've been involved in that could relate to them or to people they know and love and think about or or feel that this resonates with those uh, how is it that someone gets on the the path to connecting with you to exploring 
and discovering and sort of cementing a few silver bullet playlists? How can they uh, start that journey, either with you on their own? Oh, great question. So I've been teaching this stuff for a long time and written quite extensively about a lot of it. So if you can find me online through um, any number of ways, I guess I can send you a link tree for the show notes. That'd be a quick way of doing it. But find me because there's lots and lots of um, content out there that you can engage with. And a lot of it is specific, like how do you deal uh, two-minute treatment for road rage, that kind of thing. So there's that kind of stuff as well as the more general stuff. Um, and and I'm, I'm out there. I'm pretty public. But the idea is um, to spark up your interest in doing something for yourself. If that's something that's already with you, and it's like, no, I really need to figure out a way to, to, to do this better on my own so I don't have to d- rely on experts so much or all the information I'm getting is confusing. What do I really feel? So music is going to give you that sense of balance, of course. And to begin to engage with it more as a tool is new for a lot of people. But here's the good news. We're set up for this. Our, our systems are resonators. The human body basically resonates to sound and rhythm, and we need it, like food. It really is part of what keeps us animated and alive. And if, if that's new for you, you're finding that for the first time, you're going to listen to music differently from now on. Sorry, I've just messed it all up, but that's the way <laughs> it's going to go. And that's going to make you curious. So when you get curious, um, the, the best landing page to sort of get started on this is quest.musiccare.net. It's quest the old-fashioned way, like quest for the Holy Grail. Gotcha. And it's on purpose because there's a certain um, ceremonial uh, dignity that goes along with caring for yourself like this. It's much more holistic than popping a pill. And if you're ready to go that deep on it, um, quest.musiccare.net is your starting point. From there, you'll be able to um, actually supercharge your experience through all the knowledge and information that I've gained that I share in the Quest, which is basically a guided, mentored online course that you can walk through your process of engaging deeply with your music, perhaps for the first time, and certainly in a new way. So that's a great starting point. Of course, once you get there, you know how to spell my name, and you can Google for me and find a bunch of other stuff. And, <laughs> you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, these days, it's sort of just a big, you know, giant field where if you if video is your thing, you go to the YouTube channel, you, you wander through that. If reading articles are your thing, you can go that way. And if, like, engaging with a, a online course and getting deep into the weeds and actually making something happen is your thing, you go that way. So, yeah, it's easy to find out there. And if you Google Music Care, you're going to find that there's a couple of other organizations in the world that are doing this with the notion that it's possible for you to care for yourself this way. And that's so heartening for me. It's just incredible to know that that people who are in the lane with music, music therapists even, are offering this to people and saying, hey, you can do this for yourself. Here's the way. Go for it. You, you don't need me. <laughs> you know, You don't need a teacher all the time. You... On your own, Seth, can do this stuff and give yourself incredible relief, incredible inspiration, like you found with, you know, listening to the, um, the, um, I was going to say Ode to Joy, but it's not. It's it's the fantastic, fabulous. What is it? We, you were talking about just a minute ago. It's like that that kind of music is there for you for a purpose. Correct. It's just not passive <laughs> in the background. It's like right there for you to use and and become aware of that music. I I think that's extremely important. I think for 
all the experiences that I've been able to recognize uh, for myself with music. And I think for just about anybody who is listening, they know those moments when music has been either the thing that geared them up for something they were going to do or helped them process something that was either uh, difficult or anything else along the emotional spectrum. And I think giving them these tools and providing them with a place to start like music here is a great opportunity. Um, and yes, please do send me that information tree. I would love to put it up on a post on my website and also link it to the podcast so that people would be able to see just how many different ways they can choose to interact with you or music care and then use that as part of their process of discovery to craft their own silver bullet playlists and to recognize just how much more influence music can have on their lives and also perhaps play a role in how they process things that maybe before without music or a silver bullet playlist they weren't as successful and now with these tools at their hand they have a better shot at being so and if nothing else achieve the goals that they want no matter what that level of success might be yeah you know we're, we're way better than coping skills human beings are remarkable and if you're just finding yourself in a place where coping is all you can manage know that beyond that there's real opportunities to thrive and if you can plug yourself into something that takes you beyond coping you're going to really be in a in a wonderful place we've got to do that because just coping isn't cutting it anymore hey. <laughs> we've got to challenge ourselves <laughs> you know go beyond that and and build in like actual forward focused kind of skills use our deficiencies for growth instead of just managing them, you know, and really find some purposeful satisfaction in life and meaningful belonging. I mean, these are things that, that exist out there that people can have, but we've got to stop, you know, mucking about in the mud and instead of just using things that deaden us and don't let us live authentically, how about medicine that does in, enable us to live authentically and makes that safe and possible? So that's the opportunity here, and and uh, I'm a believer in music. I think music can do that for us. It's one, at least the modality we have right now, perhaps the best one, to be able to get us beyond our our just day-to-day -day survival skills and move us to thrival skills. There's a word for you. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I I think both of those messages you were saying right at the you know right then you know coping isn't cutting it. You know, and also let's get past survival. Let's get to thrival. You know, the idea of, of moving past the day to day. It reminds me of a friend of mine who took me and I wasn't prepared for this, but he took me his term of mountain bike, mountain bike riding, which was just me holding on to a mountain bike and in the process um, freaking out uh -huh. because it's all downhill. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> and the, the brakes don't slow you down in any way. They just allow you to achieve a controlled skid at, at yeah. best because you're beyond a speed of actually stopping. And really quickly, I would look down holding on to the handlebars. And he's like, hey, buddy, you can't do that. If you look down at what's happening, you're going to miss everything that's coming. And it's coming at too quick of a speed. And the few times that I was teaching, I had an opportunity to try and pass that on to students where I was like, if you're not looking up, you're not preparing for what's coming next. And the best piece of advice he gave was, hey, you know, trust that your instincts will react in time as long as you look up far enough to give them time to prepare for whatever's coming. 
And if you're just surviving, you're so busy looking down that you can't even consider what possibilities, what opportunities, what more is capable because you're not seeing far enough ahead of you. And I really think that what you're offering through music and through this approach is to step outside of that lane and in doing so, see just how many other opportunities are available to you. And through that, achieve what you were just talking about, thrival skills, those things that allow you to do more than just survive. And in doing so, improve so many aspects of the quality of your life. Thank you for that. That's beautifully said, Seth. Ah, my pleasure, Bill. The, the best thing about having a great conversation is when someone's giving you so much information that at the end you can summarize it in a way that almost makes you sound smart. And for me, that's a great experience because <laughs> I think to myself, like, I sound really smart right now, but I'm going to be honest, all I did was summarize everything Bill was just talking about for this past hour. So <laughs> you did sound pretty smart. <laughs> I, I, I think so. And I, I did it by listening to a smart person who was giving out some really heartfelt earnest advice and i think the key behind it was that we began this talking about authenticity and that that was your focus not only in your approach to this but in your message with me today and i know it's a message others are going to recognize because of that authenticity and it's why it was so easy for me to sum it up i wasn't trying to cut through muck i was just talking about everything honestly you have been telling me in that Bill, I really appreciate it. I, I, I'm really thankful for the fact that you were able to talk about so many different parts of your life and the things that you're doing that can have such a great impact on others. You know, you're going to you send me the link and I'm looking forward to sharing it. But if there's someone right now who's listening and wants to make that first contact with you, is there a place where you're most likely to respond the quickest, uh, whether it's an email, whether it's a social media account, you know, Twitter or Insta or anything like that, where they can just say, hey, Bill, just listened to you, had a great message, going to check everything else out. But I want to say, you know, thank you. And that's going to get to you in the quickest way possible. Oh, well, you know, all the social media is pretty fast. Um, I do monitor Twitter. I'm, I'm not tweeting very often. I do monitor Facebook messages. Um, the Facebook page is a great place to go leave comments. It's obvious it's Bill Protzman. But in, in terms of quick, I don't often do this, but if you're listening right now, I'm going to give you a toll-free number and you can reach me directly about that. It's 800-785-8596. Awesome. I'll say it again, but that, that will go directly to me. The, the IVR, I'll pick up your call. I think it'll ask for your name and then it'll transfer you to me. 800-785-8596 if you want to connect right away. Bill, I really appreciate that. I know that so often we have this instant gratification side. And while it's something that, you know, we, we might want to at some point either tame or address in the moments when something really connects, the ability to reach out and make that connection um, can be extremely important. So I'm sure that anyone who's listening, who's writing that number now and about to call you or leave you that message is really thankful that those outlets are there because the, the thing you're talking about is extremely important. And whether it's a, something they want to follow up for themselves or for someone they know, knowing how to get a hold of you or how to reach out with you and knowing that you're willing to extend yourself in that way, uh, it only adds to that degree of authenticity. It lets them know that this is a person who's doing this for 
honest reasons and also will will let them know that this is someone who's open to saying look it's easy to put up walls and this is a way you can get through and share a message start a conversation or seek advice and help and that right there is a gift well my pleasure it's it's a gift to be able to speak with you seth and to be able to share this with your audience is um it's amazing podcasting is putting down a, a record of where we were you know early in the 21st century and it's perhaps a, a really good way of allowing people an authentic connection that we haven't had i think so far in the digital age so you know kudos to you for having the courage to uh, to do what you're doing and and be part of that record thank you bill it's it's i really appreciate that recognition but Honestly, uh, what I get the most from is these experiences right now, the fact that you and I had this great conversation that not only I can listen to, but that has informed me about things I might have understood maybe in a, a general way. But with a greater understanding that we've gained from this, I can go forward in every conversation afterwards using the tools we've learned about or find ways to use them in my life, just like anyone else who's sharing it. So thank you, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be part of these conversations uh, I really enjoy in fact I'm going to put it on my sort of bookmarks for later on down the road I've had a conversation with a young lady named Tara Masson on a series about self-acceptance and I think we would really enjoy having a, another conversation that included the three of us in it talking about your ideas and and also just uh, expanding on both topics and see where they might cross over and what more can be gained when uh, two or more are having a great conversation. That would be powerful. That would be amazing. I, I think it really would. I'll send you links to those episodes so you can check them out. And uh, for anybody asking, if you let me know, I'll make sure and plug you along to, to one of those links as well. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up by saying uh, thank you to Bill Protzman for not only sharing his experiences, but his knowledge and the information that goes with it that has led to music care and also the the different avenues that you've had a chance to experience and share with us the places where people can find your work the ways they can connect with you and hopefully start taking this idea of music care and incorporating it into their lives and maybe the lives of those around them who they think it could also be a great benefit to so bill uh thank you once again for being on thanks for having a great conversation and more importantly thank you for the great work you do you're so welcome, Seth, and thank you for your recognition and the opportunity to talk about it. My pleasure, Bill. Uh, looking forward to what I'm hoping to be uh, quite a few more conversations in the future. You've been listening to Storytelling with Seth and my guest today, Bill Protzman. Bill, thank you again. To learn more about Bill Protzman, Music Cares, or ways to reach out to both Bill and myself, please check the liner notes of this episode. But if you're still not finding what you're looking for, feel free to send me a note at sethsingleton at gmail.com. That's my full name, S-E-T-H-S-I-N-G-L-E-T-O-N at gmail.com. And if you're using the Anchor app, you can always send me a quick voice message and let me know how I can get you what you're looking for. You've been listening to Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. 
To contact me about any of these stories or a story you would like to see or hear on Storytelling with Seth, email me at sethsingleton at gmail.com. That's my full name with no spaces or punctuation. S-E-T-H-S-I-N-G-L-E-T-O-N at gmail.com. You can always reach out to me on other social media platforms, Instagram where I'm Seth the Writer, Twitter where I'm One More Singleton, or any other platform you choose. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this episode, rate and review so I can know your thoughts and what you think about the episode. And then tell a friend. Until next time, this has been Storytelling with Seth.